Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Addictive Pod. My name is Adrian, and today I have a crazy story for you guys. My guest today goes through so much in her life. She goes through being kicked out of school for uh, drug and alcohol use. She goes through sexual assault, cancer. She recovers from lymphoma, then goes through a betrayal and a breakup, becomes a single mom, and then recovers from her addiction. And this story is such a testament to the amount of pain that somebody can experience in their life and how by changing the perspective we have on pain, you can come to look at pain, not as something to avoid, but actually as the greatest teacher in life, the greatest opportunity to learn. Please join me in welcoming my guest today, recovery baddie, Haley W. Haley, welcome to the Addictive Pod. So good to meet you. So good to meet you too. I'm so excited. This is awesome. I think um, I've known about you. I've seen you on Instagram. I've kind of been like loitering around for the last two years, um, but I never had a chance to have you on the show. So I'm so glad that we're doing this. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. I stay lurking on the gram too. So I've definitely seen your stuff and um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I know some of your friends. I know I had Alika from Pro Recovery Power on. I know Leslie as well. And so I haven't ever, even though I've seen a lot of your posts, I've seen like little snippets of your story. I've never actually heard the whole story. And there's so much to talk about there. I know I I would love to talk about the cancer and the cancer recovery. I would love to talk about becoming a mom. Um, but where does it all begin? Where does Haley's story begin? Before drugs, before oh. alcohol. <laughs> how how do you want to start this? I um my story begins I feel like kind of um like how I feel like how I entered the world set like the tone for just how I was wired my entire life which was thinking that like I was different and thinking that like there was something defective with me right I was um I was born to a 15 year old girl in um, DC and I was put up for adoption and I was adopted by two army officers um, who I'm sure (laughs) assumed they were picking up like a very normal baby. And um, I, I do know that like as early as like infancy, I was just like a really difficult, um, I was like a really difficult child. Like um, my sister who's also adopted was very uh, much able to be like consoled comforted Mm. and like um and and she was fine and my mom you know she has said over the years that like there was just nothing she could do to console me there was like nothing she could do to comfort me I I didn't respond to anything and like I honestly believe now that I'm in recovery like I was just like wired differently and that do you think your biological mom was an addict? Do you know anything about her, whether she was using substances when you were uh, in the womb? I don't know. That's actually, a, I've never even thought about that until I right wonder. this second, actually. I've never even thought about that. I know that she was um, a teenager. I know only that, um, you know, like cancer history, breast cancer runs in the oh, family. Okay. Um, that's really all they give you. Um, I don't know if my 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 biological father uh if he was i mean i have no idea 
Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Who? I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You are who you are. You had that. Yeah. You had that childhood. You had that history. And when did um, alcohol enter the scene for you? How old were you when you first tried that? So we had like a very, we had a very like conservative upbringing. We were military. My mom worked a lot. They got, my parents got divorced super early, like shortly after they adopted my sister and I, like when I was a toddler and my, it was just like my mom and my sister and I, and I do know that like she worked really hard and that she also entertained. And I just remember like always seeing alcohol around and being very curious about it. Like my sister never even gave it a second glance, but I was like, dude, that's the shit that like all the parents are drinking that like yeah. is making them have so much fun. Like I do remember that. Um, I also remember when I would go see my dad, I was talking about this in the rooms the other day. He it was like a normal practice for him to like go to parties and him and my uncles and all the other like males, like drink until they passed out and they would just like wow. pass out like everywhere. And I mean, these are like very um, professional. Yeah. They're all military. military guys. Yeah. Yes. And I remember my dad, he drove this BMW and he used to tell, and he used to drink, oh my God, I hope I don't get in trouble. He used to bring like whiskey to go. Like he used to bring alcohol to go. And he used to say like, he used to tell me like, I'm a cop, I'm a retired cop. I'm a retired army officer. Like I know what I'm doing. And that was normal. Pr and I, I was like, yeah, that I know totally the law, but I can out. do what I want. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, so these things, that I saw all the time. I mean, it, maybe to my sister, it didn't really matter, but because I'm a fucking alcoholic, <laughs> I'm like, all this makes sense. And like, this is yeah. acceptable social behavior. So um, I didn't actually try alcohol. I think I tried like a wine cooler a couple times when I was like little and I was like, ew, I'm cool. But like, I didn't actually try alcohol for the purpose of like, I know this is going to make me go into oblivion until I was around 14 or 15. Um, I had a lot of behavioral problems when I was younger and my mom got very overwhelmed because she was a single mom and she had me go live with my dad. And like, I had not spent any time other than the weekends with my dad. So I was like very overwhelmed. I was going through puberty and all these changes in a young woman's life. And then I was just like living with this guy that like I barely knew because I like only saw him on the weekends and he lived halfway across the country most of my life because he was stationed somewhere else. Like it was a re I was not okay when I was younger. And um I knew that I would get trashed when I drank that vodka and when I took that bottle of vodka out of my dad's freezer that's exactly what I did and um I say that like the second it hit my system like the second that vodka hit my system I was like "Ooh, I like this wow. like and I I did not stop after that like I partied all through my adolescence all through my high school years it is like only by the grace of God that I am like alive and made it into adulthood like I the second I found alcohol, all those like uncomfortable feelings about being like a mistake, not supposed to be here, not supposed to it's ever be born, things right. that like, 
Yeah. And I mean, no one else I think is adopted. I don't know if they feel that way. My sister was adopted and she never like thought like that. She was never like, oh, it's a mistake. She was like, mom and dad chose us. We're special. But like, mm. I didn't see things that way. I saw it like I was a mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. Now mom doesn't want me. And my dad never wanted me because he wasn't around. Like I just internalized everything. I was a hot mess when I was a kid. So you got you got kicked out of a couple high schools, right? Was that I like around 15, 16? What tell me that tell me that story. What happened there? Oh my god. So basically I didn't give a shit about my future or what happened to me. Like the second I discovered alcohol and partying, um, I did not stop. I couldn't just do it on the weekends like all my friends could. Like I literally did not make my SATs, I did not make my driving test. I didn't even go to school. And because my dad knew so many like officers in the county, I I had like no consequences for any of it. Oh, like, right. I, I didn't get... even think of that. I was here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, thinking like, oh, she better be careful. Her dad's uh, connected. But no, that's actually it would have helped you kind of get away with stuff. It absolutely did. And like I got so many chances in my first high school and they were finally like, Bob, my dad bob we can't she's gotta go like we're sorry like there's no more like call daddy have her bail bailed out this time um and i got kicked out of that high school and then i went to another high school and i got involved with like selling drugs it was an alternative high school it's like where all the drug dealers the gang members and the pregnant chicks went so i was like holla i'm home and i (laughs) yeah dude like it was bad and it's so funny i tell this story now and like because i'm a mom and i'm like a professional people are like there's no way this was you like and i was like yeah i was a wild thing like i had issues um but yeah, I got kicked out of that high school because I don't think they ever divulged to my dad what happened. I think I just told him I stopped going, but it was because I got caught selling drugs at school. Ooh, that'll do it. Yeah. And then um, there was just another situation where like one of my friends that I brought around this guy robbed someone else. And like, then I got like lumped into the category of like someone that ripped this drug dealer off. And it was just like, probably not safe for me to be there. I was so naive. I got involved with a lot of dangerous situations when I was younger, thinking like I was never going to have any consequences because of it. And I was just a mess. It's a weird combination, right? It's like on the one hand, I feel less than everybody. I'm a piece of garbage. I'm not wanted. I'm not I don't belong here. And then on the other hand, I'm invincible. I'm going to get away with everything. I am the king of the world when I'm on this drug or this. Right. Like it's such a crazy combination and that's addiction like that's the crazy part of addiction that kind of completely contradictory set of beliefs that drives you up the wall yeah yeah i um you say so many things that like i never even thought about until you sorry that was a lot of words there i was no (laughs) that was like so true though like i've never really thought about it um with that contradicting kind of like mindset but I feel like I just like, I didn't care about myself at all when I was younger. I was like, no one else cares. So why should I care? Right. And I just did whatever the consequences did not matter. I thought if I did have a consequence, it was going to be temporary. Um, I just, I had no concept of my future or care about it at all. 
Did you in in the in the moment at least? I know obviously looking back there it might be different, but in the moment when you were in high school when you were getting kicked out, um how did you think about yourself? Like were you uh ashamed of getting kicked out or was it just like, "Oh, this system is out to get me. It's their fault. It's this person's fault." Um I think my delusional mindset was actually like proud of that I was like right. it was like a badge of honor that I like was like such badass that I did all these things like I was a really I had a really diluted sense of like self-worth like I put my self-worth in like who I knew what kind of drugs I could get and like things that I could get away with and the things that I didn't get away with my delusional ass thought that that was also cool because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a badass. I don't care if I get in trouble. Like, I was just, I was crazy. <laughs> like, there was no, I was a whirlwind of destruction when I was younger. Like, it was bad. It's so funny, though. Like, you were saying that people don't believe it when they see you now. But I kind of believe it. Okay, hear me out. I don't know if this makes sense. <laughs> I believe it because there's like, there's a freedom about you. And there's, uh, you're, you're so comfortable in your, in your own skin and you're sort of so expressive that, and that only comes with kind of being crazy when you, does, does that yeah. make sense? Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, it does. Yeah. So I, I love that does. about you. I think that's great. Like, that's such a great quality to have because you Thank survived you. that. You oh went through God. that, you survived that. And now you get to be this free person. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like, you know, I looked a lot back at like things that have happened and um, I honestly wouldn't change anything, you know, certain things that shouldn't ever happen to anyone um, certainly weren't great, but um, yeah, I really enjoy the person I am now. And I really enjoy the fact that like, I'm not naive now that I have my own son, like I can have dialogues with him and not be like my stoic military right. parents that like didn't talk about anything ever. You, you don't know? have to suppress everything and hide everything and live in fear. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of those things you were saying, uh, things happened that shouldn't happen to anybody. And this is a super tough topic. So I'm just kind of treading with caution, but can you tell me about the sexual assault in your twenties? Can you tell me anything about, um, what happened there and, and how did that affect you? How did that affect the, uh, the journey of addiction? Sure. Um, when I got into my twenties, I had slowed down a little bit. I started like working, going to community college, making money and making good grades. Cause I never realized that I was actually pretty intelligent. And so I kind of like became a productive member of society. And, um, I wasn't like partying 24 seven. I drank and drugs were definitely in my life, but like I wasn't partying 24 seven. Um, I made friends very easily and I made friends with like anyone basically um, because I was like a very lonely person on the inside and I hated being alone with myself. So I just like clung on to anyone and I became really good friends with this girl who um, parents had like, a shit ton of money. They lived in like an amazing house. Um, her dad, her stepdad was one of those like hunter, like literally they had things that I'm pretty sure were extinct species of animals, oh. like stuffed in their house. Like he was one of those like hunters that like went on those trips to Africa. Like a big and, like, game, big game hunter. Yeah. 
I was like, I'm pretty sure that thing is like extinct or like going extinct. Like, why are you, you have endangered species stuffed in your house? But anyway, my point is, um, these guys had money like flying out of their ass, and um, I went on um a deep sea fishing trip, and um, I drank a lot while I was there. I know that like her fa- her stepfather had made kind of some advances earlier in like our history of being friends and I didn't really think anything of it thought like okay like I'm in my 20s I'm just like you know be bopping around he's a horny old man um and then when we went on this fishing trip I ended up not drinking as much as you would assume for someone who like was completely incapacitated um and we were driving back from this deep sea fishing trip. There were like seven of us, like in a giant SUV. And I was passed out in the back of a suburban. And um, they all went somewhere for lunch. And I just know that I woke up and this man, my friend's stepfather, was on top of me and my pants were down around my ankles and I was like, what the fuck? And I like sprung up, um, back to life. And, uh, I kicked him off of me. Uh, he said, you know, this is just our, this is just our secret. This is just our secret. This is just our secret. Whispering that over and over again. Um, and then he went back into the restaurant And I sat there waiting for the rest of the girls to come back from lunch into the vehicle. And I was just sitting there, like, obviously traumatized and, like, crying. And I couldn't say anything because this man is riding in the same fucking car as me, right? Like, I can't say, like, okay, this guy, your stepdad, just like his, her, her mom is driving. His wife is driving this vehicle. Like, it was so fucked up how this happened. And, um, I came home and I told my buddy what happened and it was, I didn't know where to go. I didn't want to go home. I didn't know what to do. I told my friend what happened. And his first response was to call his cousin, uh, get their gun and go and extort him for money. Tell him that if he doesn't pay up because he's rich, right. If he doesn't pay up that, um, I'm going to like tell on him. And I was just like, Now that, like, I'm an adult and I look back at the situation, it was just so, so screwed up. Like, I did not do, I did not tell anyone except for these people that I thought were my friends. (laughs) And, like, I just, it was a bad situation. Wow. How could that be the response to that? That's so insane to me Um, that their friend is assaulted and they see that as an opportunity to make money, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That was the response. Um, That's disgusting. I don't know if he didn't believe me or if he just didn't think it was as serious as it was. Um, And I was a, I was a hot mess for a really long time. Like, you know, I, I lived in a lot of fear because I lived in the same community as these people. And I lived in fear of what would happen if I did say something and if their family would break up and, Ultimately, I decided just to sever the relationship with her, not speak to her ever again. And that's what I did. And she was very hurt and confused because we were very close. 
um, we eventually reconnected. Uh, she asked, you know, once we had both had kids a few years down the line, she asked if, um, you know, I'd meet her for lunch and we did. And she asked what happened all those years back. And I, you know, not years, years, but a couple years back. And I told her what happened and she was just like, yeah, he's been assaulting me since I was 12. Oh my God. And then I was even more angry. I was even more angry because she let him around six or seven of her girlfriends all the time. And her house was always full of us. We were always at her house. Yeah. This man was always around. And it's like, I was just angry as hell. Like if you knew he, but then I couldn't be angry with her because she's a victim as well. She's processing. Yeah. Um, It was a really screwed up situation, Adrian. They, they ended up indicting him on charges. She ended up going to the police um, because even though she was an adult, she found like tapes of her that were recorded of her as a child, which is basically child pornography. She went to the cops. She asked me um, if I would be willing to testify against him because, you know, of my situation. And I said, look, like, I don't want to bring this back up. If I'm the, if I'm between him going to jail and not going to jail, then I might entertain it, but I really don't want to dig this back up. Mm -hmm. And um, the night before he was going to get sentenced for like the child pornography of his stepdaughter, uh, he shot himself in his garage. Oh my God. Yeah. That's her. I don't think I've ever told that whole story to anyone. I don't even know if I was supposed to tell the whole thing. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, I I think it's important to, I mean, I thank you first of all for, for sharing it. And I think, um, I mean, something like that happening in your early twenties at any age, I mean, it's just so traumatizing. And for you to share something like that, I think it can help so many people who might've experienced something similar who maybe never shared it with anybody ever. And they're in that similar situation where they just keep that secret. They stay quiet because of out of fear of what consequence yeah. they might have in their community. And um, I think it's, it's important to share stories like that. It's important to um, obviously respecting the anonymity of the family, respecting anonymity of, um, of anybody involved. But how do you think it affected your addiction? Do you think that it, it fueled the addiction and made you uh, seek that kind of oblivion, that, that numbing out even more? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it also made me, um, like really hate myself. I, you know, thought it was my fault. I thought that like I was asking for it because I would always flirt back with him and I thought I was, um, you know, a slut and I thought I was, um, I in turn, I had all those I had all those feelings of being less than and um, not a part of my entire life. And like something like this, like did not help, you know, and I just, um, I shoved it so far down. Like I just, I, I never addressed it. Like I never told a therapist and never told my parents I didn't tell my sister until after he shot himself and she was just like, Oh my God, like you've been holding on to this. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. my life is in shambles. Yeah. Um, 
So I definitely don't think it helped. I know I was kind of a mess before that, but I was like on track, you know, I was in my twenties doing the damn thing and on track and, um, that, that happened. And, um, I just couldn't wait to get outside myself all the time. And that meant drinking a lot more, getting in relationships that were toxic, um, you name it. And then you got cancer. I mean, as if, I as if you, <laughs> as if <laughs> life wasn't hard enough, right? You're, Dude, <laughs> you're battling you no all these idea. things. I mean, you have been through like any one of these things is somebody's like most difficult uh, challenge in life. And you went through them all, you know, like that's what is so insane about your yeah. story. And what is so like that, what that's what makes your personality so great now and what makes you such a free person. And it's, I don't know, your, your story inspires me. So tell me about, <laughs> tell me about, um, I, we're, we're running low on time for the backstory, but I, I, cause I really do want to talk about your recovery and, and how things turned around, but tell me a little bit about cancer and, and if there was a change, like did, did having cancer, uh, change the way that you viewed, um, your addiction, your life, or was this sort of all part of the, uh, numbing out kind of escaping reality uh part of your addiction uh it was definitely the uh latter when okay. i got diagnosed with um lymphoma i did not have like i first of all i just had a kid 11 days before that i had my son and then 11 days after i had him i got diagnosed and like wow. i literally was just like honestly i thought like so much other shitty shit had happened in my life that i was just like this does not fucking surprise me. Like this does not surprise Fuck. me. And um, I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I was honestly very angry because I just wanted to be a, like a normal mom. I had like this tiny, perfect little human that needed me. And I was like, let's get chemo over with. Let's get the shit done. I didn't get a death sentence. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so let's get the shit done so I can go back to being a mom. Cause that's all I wanted to do. And that's what I did. I plowed yeah. through chemo and for the first time in my life i did what my parents had tried to teach me to do my entire life which was grow the fuck up and get it done it doesn't matter how you figure it was like that military mentality like i don't care how you figure out how to do it but you you do it and you get over it and that's what i did i just I didn't, they kept telling me I should go see therapists and I should go do this. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no, I just need to get this done and go back to being a mom. And, um, that's what I did. I never addressed any of that stuff. Um, I didn't like being a survivor. I didn't like anything that had to do with cancer people. I tell my story in rooms now and people are like, how did you forget the part about when you had cancer? And it's like, literally because so much other shit <laughs> has gone shit. down in my life. Yeah. Like that was just like a I side just, note. That was just a yes. <laughs> it's like a little blip, you know. Like that's insane. And, and it, I think now when I look back on it, it's because I didn't have any of the coping tools. Like I, did, I literally was on autopilot because a, I had a newborn, and b, I didn't have any way to deal with any of this stuff. I spent my entire like adolescence when I was supposed to be learning how to deal with my feelings, drinking and doing right. drugs. Like I didn't know how to deal with anything. And so I just did it. What was, uh, what was your drinking and drug use like during the chemo during the cancer recovery? Um, it was very minimal because okay. I was very ill. 
Um, I still drank, but not like, and I, I don't think I got drunk a single time during that, those six months. Cause I was just so out of it and a new mom. There was this AA speaker, Earl Hightower. I don't know if you heard of him, but he got cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said that in his story, he didn't do chemo, but he basically did so many other drugs that the cancer just like left his body. Oh he just, my like, God, he's brilliant. He, like, killed, he killed the cancer. This is not me endorsing that methodology, no. but I'm just, no. I'm just curious if that was your experience. It sounds like you were so sick. It's just you weren't interested in, in drinking or using at the time. Yeah, I, um, I just like when I was uh, pregnant, like I was able to stop. And um, I think that's why it was so hard for me. You know, uh, when I found out that I couldn't stop on my own, I didn't understand why I couldn't stop because I'd done it before. Um, So, so how did that play out then? So you recover from chemo, you're back to being a mom, and then the drinking starts up again, and and drug use starts up again? Or how, how does that timeline go? I got over chemo and cancer. Um, I thought like my life was going to begin again, right? Like things are going to go back to normal. My son's father and I, we were kind of drifting apart um, because I just assumed it was because like I was sick and he was under a lot of stress. And like when I hit remission, I was like, this is great. Like we can start our life again. We can go buy our house. We can go be a family. Like I don't have to live with my dad because we moved in with my dad. So my son didn't have to go to daycare because I had a compromised immune system. If he gets sick, then I get really sick, you know? And I was like, that's gotta be a lot, you know, I was living with my dad. And, um, I honestly thought our life was going to be good. And like, we're going to pop out another baby and have all the things we said we were going to do. Right. Cause I always am the alcoholic or I am the mindset that says I'll be fine. Once I have this, I'll be fine. Once I get here. And like, that was what I thought. And, um, I found out when I went into remission that he was cheating on me with my best friend for a year and a half You're kidding. while I was pregnant and going through chemo. Yeah. And, um, I really regressed into my disease like that, like when that happened, I, the first thing I did when I found out was at 10 o'clock in the morning, I went to a bar. Like that was my first thought like I had an infinite home I didn't say anything to my dad I went to a bar my dad had to come get me had to like somehow figure out where I was come and I'd never done anything that irresponsible since I had a child and I he had to come get me and literally drag me out of a bar I was sobbing I was I was out of control um that really took I mean screw this not screw it but like the sexual assault yes uh, the cancer, yes, no, that like literally sent me spiraling into, I am a piece of shit. There's something wrong with me. This mm. is why terrible things happen to me and why nobody loves me because there's something wrong with me. Like when that happened, a switch went off and I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. Oh my God. That's so disgusting. Cause it's like your, your entire life is put upside down. The two people you probably trusted most, right? That betrayal, not only from your uh, partner, but from your friend. And it's just your entire dream. Yeah. I can see how that would be. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot to take all at once. And you had no coping tools. You had no way of processing that. You had never done therapy before. There's no thought of that. It's just like, all right, I'm going to the bar. Yeah. And I mean, I was able to pick up the pieces and 
my family was a huge help. My family just didn't understand why I couldn't like get it to get like, they didn't understand why I kept like, I kept hanging on to this like hurt. They were like, okay, like you've been through so much worse. Like, why are you like, that guy's an asshole and your son is healthy and happy. And like, you're healthy now. Like, let's move on, you know, like, because they're able to do that. I was never able to do that. So I just like, was literally, um, a child. Like I was a child with a checkbook is what I say, because I was in and out of court with this man for custody and like child support and all this other stuff. But like, I literally did not know how to deal with any of these adult life things that were happening. Like I didn't know how to deal with like having to sign, you know, court orders and contracts and this and that. Like I just literally was on autopilot the entire time. And like, I noticed that my drinking was picking up a little bit, but I thought it was just because like, okay, I'm really stressed out. I've had a rough few years. It's all catching up to me now. Like this is normal. It would be not normal if this didn't catch up with me. Right. Right. Like I'm fine. Right. And like, I don't even know where that invisible line got crossed. Like I was always at my job doing well. I was getting all the professional accolades. I was at all the sports events, you know, like, I was like a good single mom when the dust settled with my son's father and I finally moved into the next chapter with just my son and I, right? Like I was doing well, but like I was drinking a lot more and I was drinking a lot more when my son would go to his father's for the weekend. Mm. And I mean, I would black out for the entire weekend. But then you could go to work on Monday. Like you were able to sort of be functional for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I was able to do everything. I bought a new SUV. We got a nice place. Like, that was my rationale. I was like, well, I do all these things. Like, I don't have a problem. Yeah. Um, but when no, I start, was like... When did you start to see it as a problem? Like, when did you cross that line into realizing that you were out of control? Uh, last summer, um, I I realized that, like, I was drinking before I went to go drink. And I realized that I was drinking and all the times I said I wasn't going to drink. I started drinking before work, started drinking at work. Uh, I started leaving the office to go get drink for after work. Um, I started doing all these things and being like, why am I doing this when I don't want to be doing this? And that was like, that was like summer of 2020. And then I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be drinking like this. My parents were starting to worry because I was starting to exhibit signs of like worrisome behavior. You know, um, I honestly thought that like I was completely in control of it, but apparently my whole family was just like terrified for me. Huh. Um, and then August of 2020 is when I was, I tried to stop and I couldn't stop. I was hospitalized for withdrawals. I had to have it in my system. Like I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking Tito's and orange juice. I wasn't drinking coffee. I was drinking liquor. Like I was a maintenance drinker and I have no idea when or how that happened. I feel like it was like when they say it's a progressive disease, like it sneaks up on you. Like, after you were hospitalized, did you do a rehab? Uh, did you stay in rehab or were you back at home and then uh, entered recovery from home? No, I went into the hospital and I did not like 
no one even mentioned rehab. I've never thought about rehab in my life. Like I went to rehab because honestly, I was like, okay, I'm going to go in there and come out a normal drinker. Like I had right. no idea. I just got to get this under control dr- and then be normal. Yeah. Yes. I did not understand abstinence. I did not understand what the fuck they were telling me. Like my brain did not compute. I went to South Florida to be like, okay, I've seen on TV that this works when you like can't stop drinking. Like I was in so much denial when I got there. I was like, um, I do not belong here. You guys are alcoholics and addicts. I am normal. And like when they told me about like the steps and the programs and like never picking up a drink again, I was like, what? Like, that's not for me. I just need to hit the reset button. Like, I just need to chill. Like, that is psycho talk. But something happened. Something clicked in detox. And I went back through my timeline. And I went back through all the things I was drinking at and over. And I went through my history in high school. And how just because I had these tiny little windows of, like, time where I had my shit halfway together that that didn't not make me an alcoholic and an addict. Like it hit me like a brick in the face. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't have a stop button. I've never been able to just stop. Mm. Like I am an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. And I just said, God, if you're real, um, tell me what the fuck to do. Tell me how to never be away from my son for this long ever again. And tell me how not to lose everything I worked so hard for. Because in the end, I like absolutely hated myself. I was so ashamed of getting over cancer and having this beautiful child that needed me and the way I was living and choosing to live. And, um, I didn't understand that I had lost the choice like long ago. Like I did not understand that like this wasn't my choice anymore, that like this was my disease, right? How did you survive that like wave of emotions that you had been running from? Because I mean, your story, there's so many moments in your story where a lot of people might break down and seek out help and sort of try and work through that. But you just kept moving forward through cancer, through the assault, um, through the breakup or the the betrayal? Like, how do you, once you're in rehab, I'm sure you must have felt more than you'd ever felt in your life, all hitting you at once, no? Yes, uh, it was awful. How do you survive that? Like, how do you cope with that? (laughs) Um, A lot of crying, a lot of crying and a lot of sharing. I, uh... I didn't have my anesthesia anymore. I didn't have anything to make those feelings go away. Um, I did a lot of crying in rehab. I did a lot of journaling and I did a lot of sharing. I talked to the, like I was active in, once I surrendered and got the damn program, I was thriving, you know, because I was actually listening and using the tools that these people were giving me that I had never learned when I was supposed to pick them up just for normal life because I was drinking and drugging my whole life, you know, um, I, I really, I really liked feeling the pain of my trauma coming up because it was like, I was finally acknowledging it. And I was learning that I could 
get through it. Like oh, I was that's getting new for me. Hold things. on. You liked the feeling <laughs> of the pain and trauma coming up? That's new. I got to hear more about that. I feel like I still do. Really? Okay, tell me more. Because I'm, okay. Okay, well. I'm the type of person who, that pain, like I will do whatever I can to avoid that. Like I'm terrified of that feeling. I hate it. When I'm alone at the end of the night and I can sort of start to feel that pain come up, it's like, ooh, got to gotta escape that. So what is it about that that you that you liked? How do you stay present with that? Um, I think that one of my biggest teachers and one of the things that makes me respond the most is when I'm in pain. I will not learn my lesson. I will not get anything from what I'm supposed to learn until... I'm in pain. If I'm in enough pain, that's when I respond. Same thing now in recovery with my journey. Mm. Like I will do the wrong thing over and over again and I'll respond appropriately once I'm in enough pain, you know? And, um, that's just the way I am. And like, for a while, I was like, oh, that's my deficit. That's what makes me defective. I'm weird. But like, no, that's just how I am. And like, now that I know that I, I feel like empowered by knowing like how I'm wired and how mm. I work and just like allowing the processes to happen. I never address like any of my feelings my entire life. Like my family does not talk. My dad's a former army ranger. Like when I get a little teary eyed, like he will leave the room. He gets very uncomfortable, you yeah. know, like it, we don't do feelings, fucking feelings. And I, have felt everything so profoundly from such a young age and just stuffed it deep down. And like now I like just sitting in the S word and going into a safe space. Why am I saying the S word? I've been the shit? this whole time. Yeah. What's the, the S word? Shit. Okay. All right. Get it. Let it out. Like, Let it out. Haley. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing right now? I've been saying fuck me, fuck fuck the whole time. I love sitting in the shit and then talking about the shit and then having someone else say me too about the shit. Yeah. And then us like that magic that happens, right? Yeah. Like I love that. And I love being able to know that I can, I can do it because I never allowed myself to do it before. I never allowed myself to feel anytime I felt the slightest bit of rejection, abandonment, you name it. Like I, I was a mess or I shut down now. I can sit in it. I can acknowledge it. I can honor it. And I can be of service to others to get outside of myself. And like that whole cycle is fucking beautiful to me. You are the strongest person I know. <laughs> oh my God. No. <laughs> no, that's, no. That's awesome. I honestly think that that is such a like, it, okay, here's how I look at addiction. I honestly think of addiction as. Uh, pain management like how am I going to escape pain how am I going to run away from that feeling of pain and just feel pleasure or feel nothing right at the end of the day yes. it's feel nothing so what you're talking about is no I'm not going to run from pain that is the shit that I like now and I'm going to feel that talk about it uh, share it with other people feel feel their pain even not even my own as if my own isn't enough like you're out here, right. you're out here feeling other people's stuff. Like you want it all. Give me it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so incredible. And I think, I mean, it's not in the steps per se. It's not like step 12, feel the pain of your addiction. But 
the I think working the steps will bring up that pain. Like working a step four, if you write out all this stuff that happened to you, all the fear and anger, you will feel that pain. Like if you go and make an amends to somebody that you hurt, you'll feel that like come up and it's uncomfortable. Like it sucks. Nobody wants to do it. That's why people leave recovery all the time. Um, yeah. I just think that, yeah, you, you have so much strength and I love the way you talk about that. And here's here's my last question to you just because we're running out of time. I, I could have you on for another hour, but... I gotta love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my last question for you. What would you say to somebody who is still running away from that pain? Somebody who's still... Um, whether they're in recovery or they're just thinking about coming into recovery, what would you say to somebody who um, hasn't really faced that yet or is too scared to face that? Um, I would say first that you don't have to do it alone. We don't do this alone. Um, you don't have to worry about anything other than where your feet are planted right now. Um, take it a step at a time. And for me, I took a long time to come into recovery because I just thought I was a broken person that did broken things. I thought that like, this is just how my life was going to be. Like, this is what happens to pieces of shit like me. Why would it be any different? That was literally how I thought. And um, I can tell you that is your disease. That is not true. Those feelings aren't facts. And to let someone love you until you can learn to love yourself because it took me a really, really long time. I carried a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of pain around from addiction and where it took me. And, um, it took a long time for me to learn to love myself and believe that I deserve a good quality of life and that I could have it. It was work but you don't have to do it alone. We recover together. We That's do. How I, I end every episode with that phrase. It's so, so true. Um, and that feeling of being alone kills more people than just about anything. Um, yeah. Haley, this has been awesome. Sorry. To, uh, oh my ended God. On a sad note. We ended on a sad note, but you're such a joyful no, person. A good thing. It was a good note. Yeah. <laughs> Like from the moment you came on this podcast, I just think there's a joy about you. There's a real like presence that you have. And I think that is people in your life are so lucky to have you. I love having oh you on the God. show. So thank, thank you. you. And we got to do we got to do this again. Come on the show another yeah, time. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell we got yeah. lots to talk about. We do. We got so many things. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of The Addictive Pod. If you enjoyed hearing Haley's story, be sure to give her a follow on Instagram. It is at recoverybaddy. I'm going to put a link in the description below. And my Instagram is at addictivepodcast. If you want to stay up to date with the show, it comes out every Wednesday. That's all for me today. Until next week, remember, we recover together.